This morning, family, I'm, I'm grateful. Um, I'm grateful that we worship a Lord who is determined to come after us and is determined to pursue us and is determined to overcome any hindrance and any obstacle and any sin that is looking to get its claws on us and, and hold us back from becoming the fullness of what he intends us to be. Aaron, it's so good to see you this morning. It's, it's been a little bit. You look good. Um, it's a God who is determined. He cares for us. He will not compromise anything to get us where we need to be, and that's with him. Even when it meant taking his own son and making him the sacrifice, he wouldn't hold back that. He let it go in order to bring us to himself. You know, it's said that uh, compromise can be a useful tool when you have two different people or two groups of people coming together that they have different ideas or different wills and they're trying to figure out how can we work together because these things don't really fit. And so you're taking compromise and decide, well, I'll decide, I'll give a little bit of this to get this. And then the other party does the same. I'll, I'll, I'll give in and I'll, I'll agree to do it your way this way so that you'll do it my way here. And we kind of come to this, this agreement. Compromise can be a useful thing as long as we are not compromising those principles that are coming from the word of God itself that are never to be changed or touched, but is really the way of the world, the way of reality. God's principles are, are the way that this earth has been designed to operate in. And so when, when we think about compromise, like we're going to look at a story today. It's from 1 Kings chapter 13, if you want to open there. We're going to look at this story in 1 Kings chapter 13. We're going to look at a story about a man that was given a mission by God, but ended up, before he was able to complete the mission, he ended up finding himself in a place of compromise and was himself put in a very vulnerable position. Compromise really, really is the reason we are in the condition that we're in today. Struggles come, adversity comes, opposition comes, but that wasn't the way it was, this earth was made. When God created the earth and put Adam and Eve in it, he gave them a perfect earth. He gave them control of a perfect earth. And then Adam took and compromised the one instruction he was given from the Lord. And with that compromise... Instantly, everything changed. And has since that moment, it's been snowballing. Instantly, the earth itself changed form and was cursed because of the compromise of Adam. It no longer was a perfect place because sin opened the door to pain and suffering and hurt. And this has all been growing and increasing. And here we are today in this state. We say, why? How could a good, loving God be real if, if I'm struggling and I have this kind of pain? I'm struggling with this kind of sorrow. He didn't do it. He gave us, what he gave us was flawless. But he also gave us the ability to control. And with our control, we've invited these things in. 
So now we find ourselves in a place where compromise has opened the door to struggle, but God has been constantly on mission to reinstate the way things were intended to be from the beginning. The earth was never intended to end. It was never intended to have the flaws that it has. We weren't intended that. Death was never intended by God. He doesn't create death. He speaks life. This is who he is. He is life. But now compromise. When we compromise, we make ourselves very, very vulnerable. Let's jump into 1 Kings uh, chapter 13. And let me see. If I can get this PowerPoint working, as you know, sometimes I end up fighting with this thing. Hey, it worked. Okay. <laughs> All right, so it says this in 1 Kings 13, 1 through 10. By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah to Bethel as Jeroboam was standing by the altar to make an offering. By the word of the Lord, he cried out against the altar, 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 this is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David, and on you he will sacrifice the priests and the high, pla- the high places who make offerings here, and human bones will be burned on you. That same day, the man of God gave a, gave a sign, and this is the sign the Lord has declared. The altar will be split apart, and the ashes on it will be poured out. So when King Jeroboam heard what the man of God cried out against the altar at Bethel, he stretched out his hand from the altar and said, Seize him. But the hand that he stretched out toward the man shriveled up so that he could not pull it back. Also, the altar was split apart and its ashes poured out according to the sign given by the man of God by the word of the Lord. Verse 6. Then the king said to the man of God, Intercede with the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored. And so the man of God interceded with the Lord and the king's hand was restored and it became as it was before. So the king said to the man of God, Come home with me, share a meal and I will give you a gift. But the man of God answered the king, Even if you were to give me half your possessions, I would not go with you, nor would I eat bread or drink water here. Verse 9, for I was commanded by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way that you came. And so he took another road and did not return by the way he had come to Bethel. Let's say a word of prayer together for a moment. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the revelation that you give us in your living, breathing word. This morning as we dive into it together, We open up our hearts, our ears, and our mind to your Holy Spirit's teaching, to your conviction. Let this living word come in us. We breathe it in this morning to come to understand you and and grow in you today. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So to set the tone a little bit, I, wanna, I need to give a little bit of context of exactly like what we're looking at here, because we kind of jumped right into the middle of a, a whole lot of stuff going on. So what happened here is, as you know, King David was the first and the, and the second king of Israel who grew the kingdom and advanced its boundaries, and it, the territory expanded itself. And when he died, his son, you remember King what? Solomon? 
King Solomon took over and he ruled. And during his reign, though, he became the absolute richest man on the earth. And with these riches, he ended up getting lured away and even worshiping false gods. And now his place of influence over the people of God, he was pulling the people of God away. It wasn't just Solomon who went astray, but he led the whole nation astray. And God said, I I can't have this. These are my people. You're leading them astray. And because of this, when Solomon died, the Lord said that he was going to take the kingdom away from Solomon's line. And so that's what he did. King Solomon's son, Rehoboam, was the king after Solomon. And he only got a small, small portion of the kingdom because the people refused to follow him and let him be their king. So there are only two tribes There were only two tribes that belonged to King Rehoboam. And the rest of the kingdom, which is called Northern Israel, was given to Jeroboam. Now, Jeroboam was selected by God to be the king of the the rest of the 10 tribes in Israel. He was selected by God because he was a man who followed God, and God was trusting him to influence the people back to him. So now we have this divided kingdom, which you can kind of see in the top left-hand corner. That gives you the whole picture of the nation. The lower purple is the two tribes that King Rehoboam had. And then the top in the red, that's the main Israel where the 10 tribes existed, where King Jeroboam, who we're reading of now, he was in charge of, okay? So King Jeroboam was the first king over northern Israel, that new divided land. Now in the main map, you can see that that thick brown line, that's the dividing line. For the, that's the t- where the territory broke. So that's where these two nations began to kind of live as separate nations instead of one. They didn't acknowledge each other as one nation any longer. They had a, he, he inherited a divided kingdom. And this is where the problem came in. God trusted King Jeroboam to lead the people back to him. And his first act as the king was to lead the people into a place of false worship. You can see on this map here, Israel is at the top, and that's King Jeroboam's territory, right? But can you see from where you're sitting where Jerusalem is? It's right underneath that borderline in the center of the map. See, the Jews were prescribed the only place that they could go and offer sacrifices on the altar and worship God was in Jerusalem. So instantly, right out of the gate, King Jeroboam has a problem on his hands because he's supposed to be the king. He's supposed to be the influencer. These people want to worship, and yet Jerusalem is not in his territory. He, he doesn't want to send them into Judah. He doesn't want to send them south to worship And so he's feeling the pressure as a new king, instability of a new king. He's feeling these pressures. And what does he do? He comes up with this bright idea. Instead of trying to finagle and make a deal with King uh, Rehoboam in Judah so that they can go down and access Jerusalem and worship, King Jeroboam decides that he's going to make up his own worship. So he made Bethel right above the border. It's only a few miles from that dividing line. He made that the place that was now prescribed for worship. He came up with his own holidays. He came up with his own ways of worshiping, and he said, this is how we're going to do this. And so that's where we entered the story. 
He's standing at this altar that he had just made. Nothing had even been sacrificed on it. He's basically christening this altar for the first time ever it's being used. And he's standing there, and now the man of God shows up to speak against the altar. And instantly he gives this word, and he says, what you are doing is wicked. You have been in in power as king for days, not even a year. And here you are misleading my people that I entrusted to you. This is not going to last. And he prophesies that another king is going to raise up and get rid of all of the false priests that had, that had um, been appointed by King Jeroboam. So he speaks this, and when, he come, when the man of God came from Judah, he makes three statements, which is, I find interesting because none of the statements were to the king itself. When he spoke against the altar, you read it here, He cried out to the altar, 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 in verse 2. He's speaking to the altar. He's he's looking right over the king. The prophecy is to the altar. You are not right. You are false. You will be broken. And now as soon as Jeroboam hears what's going on, he calls him out. He's ticked. He's trying to gain control of his people. And so he instantly points to have his guard seize him, and his hand instantly becomes crippled, that he can't even pull it back in. It's frozen. It says it shrivels up. It withers up, and he can't even pull it back to himself. And so now he realizes he's not just dealing with a human being here. This is a human being carrying the word of God. There's power in this word. And so he realized he better recount the way he addresses this man. And so instantly he pleased with the man, please pray for me. Please pray that God would heal my hand, which the man graciously did. And then King Jeroboam takes it upon himself to give an invitation. Come and dine with me. He's looking to gain the favor of this clearly powerful and influential man. This man has the anointing of God upon him, so he wants the favor. And say, maybe there's some way that we can negotiate something here. Maybe there's some kind of compromise we can come to and and make this thing work. And here now is where the next thing that the Lord had said to the man of God. Again, it wasn't to the king. He spoke it to the man of God. And he said, don't even, he said, here it is in verse 9. You must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way that you came. This is what he said to the king. Even if you offered me half the kingdom, half your possessions, I wouldn't sit down and have a piece of bread with you because the word of God, which carries the power that you just saw, came to me and said, don't do it. He said, go deliver the message and go back. Your mission is accomplished and move on. The man was, but the king was looking for that favor. You must not eat bread or drink water or even return by the way that you came. Those, those are familiar words uh, to me because it, it instantly, when I, when I hear those, it brings me back to a mission that I was on um, almost 20 years ago. Um, about 20 years ago, we were down um, with a team of us, almost about 50 people, we were down in Central America uh, on a dark night. We were finishing up the mission ship. We had gone down there for a 10-day trip. During the days, we worked with the, the village villagers um, doing crafts and Bible lessons with the kids and interacting with the people. 
And at night, we would come back and we would do services and preaching and, and worship music and these types of things, just to share the gospel message um, down here in Central America. So 10 days later, we're on our final night and we're at the top of this hill. We were, this, this particular village that we were ministering to was basically an abandoned community. It was in the nation of El Salvador, and what happened was this community, these villagers, were living under an abandoned bridge where they just kind of built uh, just like a shanty village. Well, the government decided that they wanted to reconstruct the highway and build that bridge back and use it again. So they uprooted all the people, they shipped them over, and they dumped them on top of a dirt hill. They left some piles of bricks and a few layers of um, tin metal, that they could use for roofs, and said, here you go, make yourself homes, and left them there. So we're in this place, and we're connected by a missions organization who's on the ground there, and we're, we're walking through, as we're walking through the hill, you, you see these just, these absolute, just busted up, beat down, rusty tin houses, and block houses with, you know, raw sewage running down the sides of the dirt roads. And you walk through this, up to the top of the hill where there was this um, brick church that they had made. So for those 10 days, we're working at the top of this hill and we're doing all these programs and it went fine. It went smooth. We're, we're, at the same time, we're working with the kids and doing Bible programs. We had another team of people that was building a medical center right next to the church at the top of the hill. But now this last day, the service was coming to a close. It was getting late in the evening and all of a sudden, we saw some of our leaders, their eyes and ears started to perk up. And a few of us began to realize something was going on here. What had happened was there, during the service, some gang activity was observed. And we saw that there were some uh, members of gangs that were starting to surround that church building. And we didn't know what in the world was going on. So instantly... Uh, we communicated with the pastor, and they actually contacted the local government because we did not, we were not going to be messing around and chancing it with this. So the leaders assembled everyone together in the back of the church. They said, stay together, move fast. We can't go back the same way that we came. There's a sense of urgency. They know the way that we came. They'll be ready and waiting if there's anything devised against us. And so we shuffled out into this dark night, and we're, and we're trying, we're following, I think one of the villagers or someone was showing us an alternative route out of that, out of that uh, city, out of that little village, so that we could return to safety and to, to get back to the bus. And thankfully, the hand of the Lord was with us, and we were able to get down that hill safely and return, and the trip was, the mission was accomplished successfully. But the sense of urgency and the intensity in that moment, it, get you, it got your blood boiling a little bit. We didn't know, this is, we're entering into the, the unknown. For this man of God, he was given a very specific mission as well and a very clear instruction. When you go, you are not going to mess around. You're going to be going. This is going to be so quick that don't even drink water or eat on this way. You're going to go get, deliver the message and get back where you came from. It's that urgent. There's a sense of urgency when we're aware that we're actually living on mission. We stop, we, we stop trying to coast and just kind of be carried through our days, but realize we're living with purpose. Everything that God does is with purpose, and every child of God carries that purpose. 
His mission is to reinstate that perfection, that wholeness, that eternality that he has created us with. That's his mission. He's invited us into that mission as well. And now for this man of God, this prophet of God from Judah, this was part of his mission to go carry this out and to leave those grounds without having any fellowship or any connection even to that place. But carry it urgently. Don't linger. Don't entertain anything outside of just deliver the message and leave. The man did well, did well. Even when the king himself offered to bring him into the palace, he refused. He did well until, as we're going to see, the story takes a strange turn. As it carries on, here's an image of First Kings 13, 11 through 22. And uh, I'll read it if you want to read along in your Bible. It says this, The man of God had left, and now there was a certain old prophet living in Bethel whose sons came and told him all that the man of God had done there that day. And they also told their father what he had said to the king. And their father asked them, which way did he go? And his son showed him which road the man of God God from Judah had taken. And so he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. And when they had saddled the donkey for him, he mounted it and he rode after the man of God. He found him sitting under an oak tree and asked, are you the man of God who came from Judah? I am, he replied. So the prophet said to him, come home with me and eat. But the man of God said to him, just like he had told the king, I cannot turn back and go with you, nor can I eat bread or drink water with you in this place. I have been told by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water there or return by the way that you came. But now check this out. Look at what this guy does. The old prophet answered, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel said to me, by the word of the Lord, bring him back with you to your house so that he may eat bread and drink water. But he was lying to him. Verse 19. So the man of God returned with him and ate and drank in his house. Now, while they were sitting at the table, the word of the Lord came to the old prophet who had brought him back for real this time, the word came, and he cried out to the man of God who had come from Judah. This is what the Lord says. You have defiled the word of the Lord and have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. You came back and ate bread and drank water in the place where he told you not to do it. Therefore, your body will not be buried in the tomb of your ancestors. Now, I don't know what this old prophet from Bethel was trying to accomplish. There's different ideas of what, he was, what his motivations were. Maybe he, he may have just been curious to hear the full story from the man of God, from Judah himself. So he wanted to have contact and share this meal. He may have wanted to try to seek and negotiate for God's favor to save Bethel. He may have been sincerely trying to help him or just looking for company. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what his motivations were. The truth is that he lied and manipulated the man of God from Judah. And that's all it took to change the heart of that man of God. God told me to tell you. 
He had just stood in the face of the king and his guards, and he said, even if you give me half your possessions, I won't eat here. I will not stay. I have the word of the Lord. He seems so resilient. Until the word came from the right person at the right time, in the right place, and his resiliency instantly was gone like a vapor. See, sometimes we can be so focused in the heat of the moment when the struggle is real and our, and our, our antenna is up, when the pressure is on, we're dialed in and our guard is up. We're ready. We're resilient. But then, then when things start to chill out and get back to normal, calm down, we let our guard down, we become distracted by other issues that are arise, other motivations. We get caught off guard, become willing to compromise, even the things that we're so sure that God has placed upon our heart. See, he compromised what he knew was direct instruction from God to him. Why? Because someone else said so. A simple lie, a manipulation of a man was able to turn his heart from the word of God. What's so crazy is this. The power of God was on this man for this mission, so much so that when the king just pointed, his arm shriveled up. Like God's protection was on this man and his power was over this word so everyone would know that this prophecy is God's prophecy. It's not an idea. It's not a possibility. It's done. You just, have, you just haven't seen it yet. The power of God was on his word. So he said, this is going to happen. And here's a sign that it's real. The altar is going to break. And instantly when the king's hand froze, the altar broke and everything on it just fell apart to the ground. It was meaningless. It was gone. The altar couldn't contain the sacrifice that they were trying to give. The power of the Lord. And in the same breath, that prophet said, and God also said, don't eat or drink or return the way that you came, but go straight back home. But then his own actions, his own will that he compromised went against the word of the Lord. The power of the word of the Lord was still on his lips and he's speaking these things out and then acting in another way, he spoke judgment against his own self because of compromise. He knew what he needed to be doing, but he was manipulated. He allowed others to speak over him. This mission came with urgency. It was a dangerous mission, and this is why he had specific instruction to go and do it this way. And God's word over him was his protection. God's word over us is our protection. It's our provision. It's our purpose. It's, it's all these things. But yet when he stepped outside of the word of the Lord, he stepped into that vulnerable place outside of the protection of God. As a matter of fact, because he, he acted in opposition to the word, he walked into trouble. It's like he went looking for it. Why? Maybe because the flesh was weak, he got hungry, it was late in the day. 
Maybe he was lonely and wanted some company as well. Who knows why, but he compromised. It's the word of the Lord. We don't compromise the word of the Lord. James 4, 17 says this. If anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. See, when God, God has given us his word, he's given us his spirit. And when he's spoken clearly to us and given us that word, and we know what it is, and we understand it, his desire for us, his intention is for us to see it through to the end. Don't just get through the tough stuff and then coast to the end. But remember that we're living on mission at all times. It's, it's tempting to look for a reason to justify the actions that we'd rather be doing. It's tempting to kind of look for a scapegoat or to, to justify actions we'd like to be doing, but we can't compromise the things that God has placed upon our heart. And sometimes that can be easy too because he's placed it upon our heart. It's a specific thing. If he's given you a specific mission that's on your heart, you might not necessarily read it on a page because the Holy Spirit laid it on your heart. And so now it's between you and him. And so if that's not spoken out to others to help you hold you accountable to what you feel he's asking you to do, now it's just you and him and, and the flesh can get weak and we open ourselves up to temptation and that compromise that is knocking at the door. Many things are very personal between the Holy Spirit and ourselves. And we can't disregard these things in public, but we have to stand firm. The things that he has whispered to our spirit in private, we hold firm to those things in every place at all times. It's a matter of living with integrity. See, living with integrity means more than being a people that keep our word, but really in the depth in the in the depth of it is integrity means keeping the word of the lord not just my word the word that is bigger than my word it's his we have to hold strong to our convictions especially when we're living in community knowing that we don't have to conform to one another that's not the purpose community is not so that we conform to one another Con- community is to help us to conform to him and to help us spur one another on to those things that he has placed in our heart to do. He has asked you to do things. He has placed things in my heart to do, every one of us. And as we come together, I can encourage you in that. I can push you out. Go. It's going to be okay because that's where God's provision is. That's where his protection is. In that place where he's sending you out to go, not here, but it's there. Move into that place. We're actually stronger when we have our differences in community and can maintain love and respect for one another in our differences rather than trying to prove our point or get others to agree with us, but simply encourage you to hold strong to that conviction. There's a scripture in Romans chapter 14 where Paul is working through some differences in convictions in a close-knit community. 
And this is in, re- in regards to religious diet. And it says this in, Ro- in Romans 14. It says, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. And so the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who doesn't eat everything, and they must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? We need to both respect one another and be respected in community. I don't share all the same convictions that you do and vice versa, but I'm going to support you and challenge you to hold strong to the convictions that you do have because that's between you and the Lord. See, the word of God won't alter, but Christianity is not about policy and procedure. We don't go, okay, look it up in the manual. Is this permissible? No, no, no. It's between the Holy Spirit and you. Now, the Holy Spirit's not going to speak to you to do something other than what the Bible tells you. He doesn't contradict himself. But it's not all in the book. The Holy Spirit is living inside of us, telling us the good that we ought to do. And so we need to be here to encourage one another to do those good things that he is telling us to do. In this passage in James 4, he says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and then doesn't do it, it is sin for them. It's not just speaking of doing what we know that we should be doing. If you go and read back the, the few verses beforehand, the context, context tells us re- really this. The fullness of this message is don't put off tomorrow the good that you know you should be doing today. God has placed things upon your heart. Don't delay. Don't procrastinate. Don't say, I will do it tomorrow You already know what you're supposed to be doing. Do it. Baby steps, but take one. Even if it starts with a crawl, move in that direction. Don't wait. We can always do something. There is something we can be doing to move in that direction, even if it's just a lean. And it's not even a step, but you're leaning. Eventually, we'll have to take that step. Don't delay. Don't wait. Do it today. He's challenging us. Go, act, follow me, because I have greater things ahead, but you've got to get ahead to get them. Move to that place and don't compromise what I've placed upon your heart. And don't let the word of anyone around you speak against the word of the Lord. This is the word of the living God. And it's a game changer. Refusing to compromise sometimes involves sacrifice, but refusing to compromise always brings glory to God, and in the end is for our own benefit. So my challenge to every one of us in this this place this morning is this, hold firm to those things that God has spoken into your heart. Some of you may be carrying visions or words that God has given you years in the past, and you're still carrying it there and haven't really seen much happen with that, my challenge is begin to move in that direction. Begin to take steps towards those good things we know we ought to be doing, and watch how he provides and opens the doors in supernatural and unexpected ways.
but begin to go in that direction. That's where he's taking us. And so if we want to be with him, let's follow him there. Let's follow him there. Let's rise up to the challenge and forget, throw a compromise out the window, but hold firm to the word of God. Let's pray. God, you are a good and powerful Lord. And I'm so grateful that your love overcomes every obstacle that could possibly see its way into my life. I thank you so much that your word not only challenges me, but it protects me. Thank you for the provision of your word, and thank you for your spirit who is in each and every one of us to empower us and rise us up to the challenge of doing these things that you've placed upon our heart. You have called us to be a people of action. You have called us a holy nation and a royal priesthood, ambassadors of the living God, ministers of reconciliation. You've called us to action, Father. Forgive us for being inactive. Cleanse us, Father, from our procrastination, from doubt, and I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would rush in with a newfound faith and strength and determination that you share for us, determined to bring us to you. Lord, may you give us some of that determination, Lord, to chase after you and after these things that you've placed upon our heart. For those of us that you've spoken to in the past and, they've been, and these words have been sitting in our spirit for, for, for so long, Holy Spirit, would you call them to memory once again? Would you breathe that fire back into existence, back into a flame within each one today, God? Begin a new thing in us, Lord. And let the flame of your presence and your passion inside of us, God, may it become contagious, moving us to do these things you're calling us into. We trust you, Lord, and I know that you are going to overcome every obstacle in the way. You're going to bring us to this place. So just give us the strength. Give us the focus. Give us the determination. And we look forward to see what you are going to accomplish amongst your sons and your daughters as you move us into mission in alignment with you. We love you and we trust you in this place. In Jesus' holy name, amen.